it's essentially never about me, I think is the main takeaway from that particular discussion. Well, at least you got the correct takeaway. Yes. And, you know, just in case you were concerned, and I know you are because it is all about me. I ate lunch early, so I'm fine. Well, aren't you special? My mom always said I had coffee and Dayquil, so I am also fine. Wow. That's that is a combo. Did you put the Dayquil in the coffee? Was it like a mixer kind of situation? That's kind of a personal question, and I need you to back up off a little bit. (laughs) Just back up right up off. All right. That's fair. It's like a NyQuil latte, but a Dayquil frappe? I'll call it a frappe. Mmm. Delicious. Maybe less controversial. Uh, Dayquil is red or is it green? I don't remember. Orangey. Orangey. Okay. So like an orange coffee. Regular NyQuil is the darker green color. Yeah. Right. That makes you want to die or just have nightmares. Or both. Die in your nightmares. (laughs) Well, that's kind of what makes them nightmares, doesn't it? Or at least like near death. Death adjacent. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, let's get going before you run out of steam, buddy. Hello, alleged human. Whenever you're ready. Hello, hello. Hi. Hi. Hello, alleged. (laughs) Hello, alleged human. And welcome to the Chaos Lever podcast. My name is Ned, and I'm definitely not a robot. I'm a real human person and not an alien probe sent here to collect information in preparation for a full-scale invasion. I definitely have not told my beneficent overlords to steer clear of this vicious and frankly insane species I found on Terra. No, I am just like you, an ugly bag of mostly water, hell-bent on destroying anything that looks at me funny. With me is Chris, who is also here. Hi, Chris. Um simultaneously looking at you funny and funny looking so i've got all the bases covered that is having your cake and eating it too isn't it also now i want cake (laughs) i know what you could wash it down with (laughs) Uh, the, the tears of the innocent of course i mean uh coffee yes delicious coffee made from the tears of the innocent I was almost going to say that was a good cover, but uh, <laughs> you didn't quite you didn't quite land the uh, the warplane. Well, you know, if you use the tears of the innocent, then you don't have to put sweetener in. It's it just that's it's true. naturally sweet, and I think that's important. Let's talk about some tech garbage, oh. shall we? <laughs> okay, that's good because I'm getting very uncomfortable. <laughs> So either this week was a slow week or my research brain was just not operating or Mm. both. But I did not find anything scintillating in the news. So I figured I would dig out something a little more general as a topic. But instead of doing something that's interesting to everybody, I thought I would look for something that is interesting to nobody and see if I can make it interesting. So we're going to talk about baseball, Ada intelligence. Oh, they both begin with B. It's true. And you're more close than you realize. Oh, we will be talking about business intelligence. 
its foundations, data management components, market growth, data-driven business examples, and many more exciting, oh God, everyone turned it off. <laughs> Indeed. So let's start from the beginning. First of all, the phrase business intelligence is specific. And what do you hear when you say, hear somebody say business intelligence? Besides Con that person's probably overpaid. Congress in action. <laughs> right. One of those famous contradictions like jumbo shrimp or women who will date me. Oh. Things that don't exist in real life. But in reality, business intelligence is something that we definitely know about and are affected by every single day, even if we don't know about it specifically. Surely you've heard of the term data-driven economy. I've heard data is the new oil, so I guess it's, you know, similar metaphor. Correct. And we will get to some really disturbing examples of that as we go along. Yay. Um, the end result is an entire society that is analyzing everything they can get their hands on and in some way or another monetizing it. Yeah. That's why the data is important. Mm. It kind of goes back to the whole, if you're not paying for it, you are the product. Right. Mm. That's a different article that we could write because also at this point, even if you are paying for it, you're still a product. You're still <laughs> great. We're doing good. We're doing good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at its core, that's what business intelligence is. The idea that you can take seemingly unrelated data, analyze it either by itself or in population and come up with new actionable insights. And even though this sounds like some tech bro nonsense, the concept actually does go back a long way. Hmm. As a matter of fact, it was first formalized as a concept in 1865. The term business intelligence was used by some dude named Richard Miller or Millar Devins in his book, Cyclopedia of Commercial and Business Anecdotes. Awesome name. Must have been a page turner. Really, just a just a barn burner all the way through. As in, I wanted to burn a barn when I was done. <laughs> uh, this dude, Devins, described how a famous banker of the time used information to his advantage uh, based on what his customers were doing, gathering it together, acting upon it before his competition could. So, yeah. And the actual usage of business intelligence, there are examples that go back even further than that. I mean, I'm sure you know that the very first historical piece of written anything is an accounting, uh, a breakdown of a purchase. Yeah, isn't it in Sanskrit or something? Yep, <laughs> right. You uh, approximately 1,423 million years ago, some... <laughs> guy wrote down some inventory and prices. And I believe the second thing that we have in terms of the oldest written documentation in history is someone complaining about a bad business transaction. Wow. So this mm. is not new. Nothing has changed. It's just gotten louder. <laughs> yes. And faster. Yay. Which we will also talk about. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the concept of business intelligence or gathering information out of seemingly unrelated pieces of data is a concept that has had many names and is not just used solely in business. And since you asked for it, let's take a little side trip to talk about another place that data analytics has revolutionized something. Specifically, 
Let's talk about baseball. Uh, I'm just going to go lie down in the corner for a bit. You let me know when you're done. (laughs) So a few more fun facts. Baseball has been around longer than the term business intelligence. And it has always been a game that has been driven by nerds. The first box score recorded for a professional baseball game is from, drumroll please, 1846. That's that's a while ago. And what's funny is they tried to keep stats back then in 1846, published them in the newspaper, used them to judge and and compare players. And 1846, if you're keeping score at home, was 400 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. Okay. Carry the two. Um. Over time, I mean, this, the reason that I bring that up is that people think that statistics is like this thing that got started in the 80s, right? Sabermetrics and Moneyball and all that crap. But this yeah. stuff has been going on forever. Uh, to quote the ultimate baseball statistics book, the definitive book on how to use math to make baseball less fun, which is called The Hidden Game of Baseball, quote, early player stats were of the most primitive kind, the counting kind. They would tell you how many, how many runs or outs or fly catches, and then later, how many total hits or total bases. Counting is the most basic of all statistical processes. The next step from counting is averaging, and Chadwick was the first to put this into practice, unquote. Mm. And yes, this also means that statistics in baseball were popularized and formulated by a guy called Chadwick. I could go more into what he's all about, but I think you get the picture just from the name alone. Is his first name Butterfield? I Anything that I tell you will be a disappointment compared to your imagination. <laughs> okay. Which I think is actually what it says on his tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> don't check. Anyway, don't look it up. Data analysis. At first, baseball recorded stats like hits per game. Okay, so that's like they said, counting statistics. These are some of the most basic stats you can have. And it sounds reasonable. Right. If you have, I don't know, 100 games per season and you had four hits per game, you're probably better than a guy that had three hits per game. Maybe. Right? Yeah. Pretty straightforward. It's straightforward from the outside. And it's one of those things where you think it makes sense until you start to dig into it. Because here's a problem. If you're batting first, you have more at-bats than the guy who is batting ninth. Mm-hmm. The reason for this is simple. A game has nine innings. There are three outs per inning. In a game where everybody comes up one time and is immediately struck out or does not get on base, that means that there are 27 batters, which means everybody in the uh, lineup bats three times. How many baseball games do you think end with all 27 batters being out in order? That would be a no-hitter. <laughs> But yes, correct. Very unlikely. <laughs> Rare. <laughs> so even if one person gets an at bat and gets on base, that means that there are now 28 batters, which means the guy that bats first mm-hmm. has an advantage over the guy that bats ninth. So they had to build statistics to take that into consideration. Also, they had to take into consideration things like what's more important, hitting a single, hitting a double, hitting a home run. So then you get something called slugging percentage. And stats continued to get evolved over time. Things like walks 
Does a walk count as an at-bat? It used to. It doesn't anymore. That changes the statistics, and it makes them more accurate to what they're trying to do, which is actually not only compare batters against each other, compare batters over time. As things got crazier, and as we became more modern, we were able to record more and more data points about baseball. More data points equals more accuracy and more precision. And I say that not to be redundant, but as you possibly know, accuracy and precision are two different things. That sounds absolutely wrong. I use those interchangeably. (laughs) You're the worst robot ever. (laughs) Nowadays, fast forwarding 150 years, we have literally thousands of data points per baseball game. And some completely insane insane statistics like weighted runs created plus. And this is where people start to turn off the calculator. (laughs) WRC plus quantifies a player's total offensive value measured by runs, accounting for various contextual factors like ballpark specifics, weather conditions during the game, the altitude, and the characteristics of the era. So that means dead ball era versus the juiced ball era the steroids era, et cetera. I'm going to assume all those things are real things and that you're not just making that up, though I would never know. You are doing an amazing job smiling and nodding, and I am (laughs) proud of you for it. I will say, so to the shock and awe of you and many of our listeners, I have actually been watching some baseball. I will give you a moment to sit down if you need to. Because the Phillies are in the NLCS, as of this recording <laughs> that's true and you know it's a hometown team i might as well watch a little bit of baseball and the thing that jumped out to me is not any of the players doing things because i don't really care about that it's that the whole thing is sponsored heavily by google and talking about <laughs> google clouds analytics and i was like "Ooh, that i understand nice Yeah, and we'll talk about that with Data Lakes at the end, actually. Google is an interesting player when it comes specifically to analytics. But in terms of the the statistics that I'm talking about, and I could go on, believe me, um, the whole idea here is you have constant improvement of analytics, and you do improve your analytics in two different ways. One is by observing whether or not the analytics can actually predict things. So you can test it by watching seasons of baseball over time. But the other is adding more data into the equations. So, you you know, we've come a long way from batting average to weight runs created plus. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is happening in the world of business intelligence. You started out with some very simple ideas. You observed maybe there are some flaws. Maybe there are some uh, edge cases that are more important than you realize and you adjust your models accordingly. So business intelligence is also a living science. And that's also why it's important for people to recognize that it's not just a tool. Mm -hmm. You can't just buy Tableau or get a subscription to Power BI and automatically be like, yep, we have business intelligence. Our intelligence is business. Wait, I did that backwards. Are you sure? Lots of people seem to think that's all there is to it. I bought the tool and now I have the thing. It's like buying why, a hammer. And why am I not a scientist? It's like buying a hammer and saying that you now have a house. <laughs> I bought the hammer. 
handsome nails. So I intimated that we as consumers are already seeing the effects of business intelligence in action. And I just wanted to highlight a few points where that's actually happening and where, you know, adding more data improves customer experience. One of the ones that I actually had the experience of working on directly is a company in the healthcare sector mm. that built Bluetooth enabled pacemakers and insulin monitors. So what these things do is increase the ability to track patients because you can get data by the minute instead of by the visit or mm. by the time of day that you check your blood. Right. So think about it in terms of a, a thought experiment. If I take your blood pressure right now, what do you think it would be? Well, since I'm almost unconscious, very low. Right. Now, what if instead I took your blood pressure the minute you stepped onto a roller coaster? Oddly, they put me to sleep, but I'm probably not a good example. <laughs> you are not helping. I am trying not to. <laughs> How about this? Right after you get some really terrible news or you're super nervous. Yeah, it's probably going to be a little bit higher. Exactly. And that is often the case. What happens when people go to the doctor? They're just nervous, period. Yeah, especially once so you get over you, 40, because you don't know what the doctor's right. going to do to you now. <laughs> He's going to make some real upsetting suggestions. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, these new tools have the ability to check your blood pressure or your pacemakers, you know, um, pacemaking all day, every day to give the doctor a much better estimate of where you're at, which mm -hmm. means you will get better diagnoses. So those are fun. In less fun business intelligence uses, uh, we had a famous, if troubling example of Amazon and Target being able to identify households that contained people who are pregnant based on their purchase patterns in many cases, before the pregnant person knew they were pregnant. So that's insanity. But that's what you can do when you have that kind of data and that kind of business intelligence. You can sell a lot more pampers. Indeed. I, I do so, want to point out that that Amazon target thing is somewhat apocryphal. It really illustrates You're the point, apocryphal. but it, it, just like the tulip craze, the the reality is much more um, boring and less bombastic. But can, please continue and I'll provide links. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. It was overstated to an extent, but similarly overstated. A lot of times you'll see a situation where people think, oh, my phone has been listening to me. How do I know that? Because I just had a conversation with a friend about, I don't know, going camping. And now all of a sudden I'm seeing ads for, you know, a lot of stuff about living off the grid. Your phone didn't record your conversation, even if that's what it feels like. It's just that all of this data exists about us as consumers. The collective record of your likes, your clicks, your searches, it paints a detailed picture that consumer-facing BI and data intelligence can act upon and give you ads for things that you have been some somewhat subconsciously poking around about or thinking about and clicking on. Yeah. That is, is, that is quite real. 
Yeah, even if it's not listening to snippets of your conversation, your phone still has access to a trove of communication, text messages, Google searches, stuff in your email, uh, Facebook posts. So it's not out of the realm of possibility to assume that it pieces together kind of where your mind's at on a few things. And it's not always going to get it right. right. For instance, for a long time, Twitter kept trying to sell me an NFL Red Zone subscription. And I was like, bro. (laughs) Right. So, and that also, I mean, to your point, that also brings up a lot of awkward and uneasy and to this point in our society, unanswered ethical questions about data privacy (laughs) that are out of the scope of this conversation. Although we could probably have that conversation quite easily without notes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I think we could. I think we've covered this rather extensively in other episodes, <laughs> by which I mean most of them. <laughs> but, you know, I just wanted to highlight the compare and contrast between what's done in in high-level baseball statistics and high-level business intelligence and the combination or the, the the thing that makes them similar is the fact that more data means more accuracy. Now, Sometimes. in terms of an internal example. Well, yeah. In terms of an internal company example, and one that might be of value to businesses in general is the example of UPS. UPS has built a system, a business intelligence system called Orion, which fine tunes all aspects of their supply chain. They have dumped approximately $1.2 billion into it over the past six years. As of 2022, they are estimating saving between two and $300 million in last mile expenses, which is basically driving the trucks, gas prices, et cetera, Mm -hmm. yearly, just on the trucks. Wow. So that's kind of cool, right? Yeah. And how do they do this? Well, it's fairly simple. They collect tons of data. They put it together and organize it. They validate it, and then they analyze it. And this is where the data intelligence part actually happens. This is, we're going to pivot from what is possible to how the sausage is made. All right. So if anybody needs a bathroom and or lunch break, now might be the time. Um, so step one, data management. Data management is an important part of BI. The data that you want to use for decision-making purposes has to be collected, stored, and organized in a way that makes it easy to analyze. There are a ton of different tools and technologies available to do this, and the best solution for any particular business will depend on its specific needs. The phrase people might be familiar with here is data lake, Mm -hmm. or if you're being sarcastic and you're not doing a good job about it, a data swamp. Yes. And of course, there are several tools that will claim to turn your data swamp into a pristine data lake. Right. But basically, what you want is one single place where all your data goes to rest. Now, there's a lot that also goes into this in terms of data security, data integrity, whether it's in flight or in rest, data reporter integrity, meaning the data that's coming into your lake has to be validated that we don't have time to get into. What you definitely have to do is get the data into the lake and keep it safe from being manipulated intentionally or otherwise by bad actors. Yeah, that's quite the honeypot to have out there is just this massive sea of information that someone with uh, less than upstanding uh, 
purposes could use for their own benefit. Right. Huge target. Mm-hmm. And how huge we're going to talk about in exactly one paragraph. So bear with me. Okay. Next up, you have to determine and define the strength of your data. Because one thing that happens with people with data lakes is that they just throw everything in there for, from all of their devices forever. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. But if you don't ever get back to it, it's a problem. You have to define what that data is. And is that data good? Is question one. Is it important data to help answer the questions that we want to answer is the second part. So for example, of all the data points that we could record in a baseball stadium to determine player performance, do we really care about hot dog sales? Maybe. (laughs) Would Hatfield even tell us? No. (laughs) Ironically enough, there actually are statistics that you can look up online that says the more hot dogs are sold in a stadium, the better that the team performs. That sounds like more of a correlation than anything else. Precisely. And that's where you run into the risk of, is this good data? Garbage in, garbage out. You know what I mean? And that's not just talking about the hot dogs that you're eating at the stadium. Thanks for that. Yeah, you're welcome. We're all uncomfortable. So this can actually be a real problem. Like I said, for companies, especially if all they do is dump data into a lake and hope for the best. Because businesses in 2023, especially internet-based ones, generate a lot of data. Yeah. The volume of data that has been has been growing in industry in general at an insane rate from two zettabytes per year of data worldwide in 2010 to 64 zettabytes Mm. of data in 2020. A zettabyte, of course, is 1 million petabytes. And a petabyte is 1 million terabytes. I had to think about that. That's embarrassing. (laughs) And this is just, the, the amount of data that we're talking about is so large that the human brain can literally not understand it. This is a powers of 10 situation. Yes. This is so, so much data. Mm-hmm. And if you do not have a good BI practices and you do not, do not have good uh, data vetting and data tagging practices, you are never going to know how much data you have is actually meaningful. But you're going to have that data. Enjoy those S3 bills. Uh, mostly Splunk. <laughs> This is why they're worth like $40 billion or whatever. So let's just say you have done that. You've done all the right work. You've done all the tagging. Everything is good. You've got your good data. Then you start to do the analysis. And this is one of the things where I wanted to you know, continue to highlight. It's not just buying a tool and saying, now we have BI. Everything that you and I just talked about over the past five minutes takes months to set up properly. Right. Starting the analysis is the easy part. But the same same questions are going to apply no matter what. What is the problem you're trying to solve? How do you propose the data that you have can help you solve it? And how will you know if the answer you got is the right one? It sounds like scientific method to a certain degree. It's just like, I'm going to come up with a hypothesis. And then I'm going to try to disprove that hypothesis by either conducting experiments or gathering data. 
So you have to know what you're trying to prove or trying to disprove and what evidence would disprove or prove it. Exactly. And if you don't have that, then you do not have a valid BI solution. What you have is a crystal ball and you're guessing. Mm -hmm. So one last reference to baseball. I promise. All right. Unless you want to keep talking about baseball. No, definitely not. Did you know that the pitcher's mound has not been the same height for the entirety of the sport? I didn't. Was that relevant? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, yes, but no. But yes, but no. What was the question? Oh, yeah. So with baseball and sabermetrics, this has been fascinating to watch happen in real time. One of the new statistics that came out in the late 70s was something called range factor. And this was developed by the pioneer of sabermetrics, Bill James. Range factor tried to calculate uh, how good somebody was in the field. And the way that they did that was the average number of outs per game using a simple formula. Did this fielder actually cause an out to happen as in, you know, either tagged or forced out a batter, or did they assist as in an outfielder picked up the ball, threw it to the second baseman and got an out. Mm -hmm. The idea here was to account for the defense defenseman's range on the field. The more ground you cover, the thinking goes, the more outs you will be a part of, you know, a faster center fielder will get to the ball and throw it into the infield fast, fast enough to get an out. Whereas a slower center fielder, just won't get there in time. And by the time the ball gets into the infield, all runners are safe, right? Okay. That's the concept. The problem is the statistic does not cover things that are outside of a player's control. Can you think of anything in the field that is outside of the player's control? Angry fans. <laughs> That's, I mean, ironically, that is part of it. Fans <laughs> can distract outfielders. But it's another done. one is not every... Not every stadium in Major League Baseball is the same size or yeah. the same shape. Baffling to me. Can I just say that's every other sports like, yeah, we have a standard size playing field. And baseball's like, no, nope, fuck it. Whatever you feel like. Um, this is uh, just as another aside. This is actually super fun because old stadiums used to be even crazier. <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple of stadiums where the outfield was literally a square. Do you know why? Because that's what they had room for in the city. Because it was built into a city block. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say they had like five bases or something. No, they always. Well, I mean, it came from cricket, but it's, it's not. Don't distract me. <laughs> <laughs> Damn uh, it. You got me talking about baseball. What the hell? <laughs> But this is a great example of when range factor was developed, it was immediately thought of as a solution to a problem because we did not have a good way to compare one outfielder to another. But as the years went by, it, it became clear that it was not sufficient because of all the differences in game experience that were not in the equation. Therefore, it sort of started to fall out of favor in and what came into place of it were different statistics that did. Things like the size of the field, things like the altitude, things like how many day games versus night games, because you're right, the sun can make a difference. Mm. And this is the same thing that has to happen 
in business intelligence. You can't just put something in place and forget about it. Um, rules change. The answers to statistical questions change. You know, just like anything else in IT, you know, the idea that a password needs to be changed every 90 days was suggested in 2002 and basically gotten rid of in terms of good security hygiene in about 2002. And yet. <laughs> and yet, because people think of don't, don't think about that like that, it's still so many companies that do it. Mm -hmm. Now, when it's something like security policy, it's annoying and it's you know not helping your security because what you end up with is a bunch of people with post-it notes under their keyboards undermining the whole concept of security. Same problem with business intelligence. If you have business intelligence uh, algorithms that don't work, you're going to have the equivalent. Your business is going to suffer because your company has not treated them as living documents. And that's a problem. So that's basically the, the high-level overview, I guess. And I did intentionally leave off a lot of math and a lot of the different tools and things that go into it. Um, but even there, I think we've gotten to the point, right? Implementation of business intelligence initiatives is not a walk in the park. Businesses often grapple with data literacy, processing defaults, integration problems, migration from one tool to another, and the ever-present potential of data security risks. So, you know, be careful. It's yeah. a jungle out there. A data jungle. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. It never made sense that the lion was the king of the jungle. Lions don't live in the jungle. No, and they're also very lazy and mostly scavengers. <laughs> Stupid lions. Hey, thanks for listening or something. I guess you found it worthwhile enough if you made it all the way to the end. So congratulations to you, friend. You accomplished something today. Now you can go sit on the couch, type up some TPS reports, and send them via fax to a DSS application using OCR. Those are all real things. You've earned it. You can find more about the show by visiting our LinkedIn page or just search Chaos Lever or go to our website, chaoslever.cow, where you'll find show notes, blog posts, and general tomfoolery. We'll be back next week. Does, oh, we'll be back later this week. Ah, goodness. <laughs> to see what fresh hell is upon us. Ta-ta for now. 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 T-Rexes also had feathers, and they were scavengers, too. <laughs> You're destroying everything. Everything in your childhood was a lie. Don't you find it incredibly strange that we still teach children about barnyard animals, considering that most children are not going to come to contact with any of those animals? Except for the dog. So you're saying I shouldn't have been teaching Animal Farm in kindergarten? You should be like Pigeon Goes Coo, Rat Goes, and Cat Goes Meow. <laughs>